welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, the wisdom to know the difference. I will. I will. My name is Chaim, and I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. Hi, And, um... Warp to, I guess, um, meeting number two of step four. And um, I guess I would like to start today a little bit backwards. I think the end game of the entire program is to get to a place of step 11. I would say that's like the, the end game of this whole thing. We seek through prayer and meditation to see what God's will is for us and how to carry out God's will. I think that's the end game. So the starting point of recovery is where I am powerless over sex and lust and it makes my life completely unmanageable and I have no way to stop. And that's why I'm here. Which sometimes that gets lost in this fellowship. But that's that's, that's the purpose. The purpose of this program is to find, like the big book says, a loving higher power that could take away this obsession of the mind, body, and soul. And the end game is to seek through prayer and meditation to find out exactly what God's will is for me and how to carry out that will. But then there's one step that's even greater than that step, and that is God's will is to... to everything that you learned in this program, everything that I've learned in this program, to be able to carry that to the next sick and suffering sexaholic and give him the same spiritual awakening that I received. Not because I'm a great guy, I received the spiritual awakening, even though I happen to think that everybody that's here is a great guy because we've gone through the gates of hell and back, and yet we're still working on ourselves and we're still trying to get out of this. But the reason I received it is because, very simply, God chose me. He touched me. He said, I'm going to bring you to a fellowship where there's ultimate love, ultimate acceptance. And you're going to be able to change your whole life based on the fact that life sucked for you up until this point. And right now you could change it. The transformation between step one of being self-centered in the extreme, where I don't care about my wife, my children, God, or anybody, to the place of the only thing I care about is God's will and how to carry that and how to be there for the next sick, sick and suffering. The big book says there's a big, if you can imagine, a tunnel from one end to the next. And you've got to like drive through that tunnel. But smack in the middle of that tunnel, there's a huge, huge blockage, maybe 10 feet wide. And there's no way to get through it because it's full of cement. And that cement for me is self-will run riot. Complete self-will run riot. It's all about Chaim. It's always about Chaim. And I need to chip away on that cement to get through to the other side to see the light. Now the self-will run riot for myself takes the form of resentments in the extreme, fears, Harms and sex. That's the cement for me. And my job is to, to, to chip through. And it's all self-will. My resentments, I, I came to realize, first of all, I didn't think I had a lot of resentments. Then when I realized I had resentments, <coughs> the resentments were so powerful and so strong. If you're like me in an addict, usually most conversations start off like this. You don't understand. <laughs> you know, which basically is like that as, as 
thick of a cement as you get. You know, you don't understand. You sexaholic don't understand me because if you understand me, then we're connected and it's and it's now going to work. So let's let's get this very clear. You don't understand me. My pain, my resentment is so strong and so powerful that unless me and you sit down for four hours and work this through, it's not even worth it. That's how big this resentment is. That's the cement between the beginning and the end of the tunnel. And not only that, but this resentment, I've, I've studied and I've worked on so much, you can't just take it away from me very simply. And I found for myself that um, it took a lot of work. It took a lot, a lot of work to come to the conclusion that, you know, I heard Joe and Charlie say this. I, I thought it was very profound, very beautiful. The definition of the, of the word re, right? Resent, replay, react, is doing the same thing over and over and over again. So what my teacher did to me 35 years ago, 30 years ago, I replay it, resent it. I get angry again about something that will never happen to me again. I'm never sitting in a classroom at the age of nine again, ever. And I reharbor it, I replay it, I resent it, it hurts. And then I get permission from that pain and hurt, because I don't know what to do with that pain and hurt. Nobody taught me to now go and cheat on my wife, to now go and solicitate prostitution, to now go and get a massage, to now go and watch porn. Now what's interesting, what I love what Joe and Charlie says, which for me is my story, is the resentment is even better than that. I'm not accurate about the resentment. What I tend to do is, this is the resentment, this is what was done to me. My teacher screaming at me. The guy in synagogue was acting like an idiot. A total little idiot. And it's true, he was. But when I play over that story to myself, or I tell it to my wife what the guy did in, in the shul, in synagogue, naturally, you know what I do? I sprinkle on a little bit exaggeration on the top, a little bit more on both sides, and on the bottom, I fluff it up into a better story and the reason I do that is very important. This is key. It's because the end game is I need to be able to act out. And I need permission to act out. I don't want to just pull down my pants and masturbate over something so stupid and irrelevant. So I need to embellish the fact that my wife didn't treat me respectfully. And I need to explain to you that it really hurts the way she looked at me or the way she, she verbalized the words or the lack of attention that she gave Chaim when he came home, the special Chaim for coming home. I need to exaggerate it because I need to act out. And very so slightly, I also need to convince myself that my part is much less. Much less. I came in like a gentleman today home. What do you mean I always treat my wife well? She's so lucky to have me as a husband. I need to push down the fact of my part. I need to exaggerate your part. And I'll have full-blown permission to masturbate. That's called resenting. <coughs> to do it over and over and over again in my head. And it's key for me to get permission to act out. The beauty of program is to right-size things. Just to put it in perspective. When I started to do my resentment list, I remember at one point, I started to see a pattern. But part of the pattern that I saw, which was so critical for me, was I really have a bucket list of anger and resentment that really fuels the fire to be able to act out. And I work that resentment list. Naturally, when somebody picks up the phone and says, I took an action or lust, that's not the conversation. Never. It usually goes like this. My boss, my wife, I was hurt by, I feel like, and therefore you don't understand, and I acted out. That's usually, it's not just simply I acted out, because I don't simply just act out. It's not, again, we spoke about this so many times, 
I'm not just a horny guy. And the proof to that is when I don't have resentments and I do my step one and two and admit powerlessness in a deep level in my heart and I really, really believe that lust is my problem and I give my will over to the care of God in step three and I give up resentment, I usually don't hear from somebody or tell over to somebody that's step one, two, and three, and then you wouldn't believe it. I, I don't know what just happened. I was just online, and, and I <coughs> happened to go on YouTube, you know, and it led me to, that's usually not the story, which proves that my acting out is not because I'm horny. My acting out is because, like we said, the tunnel between my step one and what exactly is God's will has this huge cement block called resentment, anger, me not wanting to do God's will. And if I get rid of that cement, I get to just drive very smoothly right through that tunnel, right to God. From absolute self-centeredness and extreme all the way to God. But how could a guy like me, who was so furious about his father, so angry about his mother, so much pain about the school system, so much harm about betrayal and lied to, so much abuse from, from people around me, being left back, going to schools I didn't belong in. And the list goes on, not being taught healthy, appropriate um, communication with people, not being taught um, the English language. I still, till today, suffer from reading, writing, and spelling. I could talk a hell of a lot, but other than that, reading, writing, and spelling, I, I suffer tremendously. Resentment. What, why can't I know how to read, write, and spell? The kid that was resentful to hell. What do you mean? At the age of nine, I was given pornography. At the age of 10, at the age of 11, I was given pornography to see daily by one of uh, a worker that worked for my father. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, <coughs> two weeks ago, it came up for me. The trauma again, after all the work and pain and insanity just came up for me again. I went to sleep crying like a two-year-old one night shaking in bed. I woke up in the morning. My wife like literally came over to me like she saw I was just a wreck, a ball of wreck. The pain, because I have, it comes up for me. It's interesting. I have a 16-year-old son. When he was 10, it came up also tremendously. And now I have a 10-year-old and the same thing, like I was just imagining, like imagine him getting off the bus, going to my office, the caretaker of his life, my father, and in the basement, it was being handed Porn, stack, I still remember, stack of magazines in the corner next to the rusty um, machine over there. And I would take that, bring that home, hide it under the carpet. I ripped up the carpet from my room and hid it underneath. I'm 10 years old. I didn't even know what I'm looking at. But you know what's interesting? This is anger, resentment, hate, pain that this program provides the healing for. So the next morning, I'm running around my house and I'm a, I'm a wreck. I'm a really a wreck. Now, let me ask you, don't I deserve to masturbate at least once for that pain? I do. And you know something? I really believe I do. I deserve a naked woman to take care of me. I really am hurting as a result of that. And I don't think any healthy person in their right mind would tell me I don't deserve it. Healthy person for the suffering that I went through as a little kid. And like Harvey told me many times, if you could masturbate and have a, a woman take care of you and you feel good about it and it works, you're an idiot for being in this program. My problem is it didn't work for me. Masturbation wasn't enjoyable at one point. It sucked. The looking at the naked woman didn't do it for me. It just needed more and more and more, and it, it fueled a fire, and I, I, I just exploded. So I deserve it, but it's not the medication for me today. But the medication was taught to me. I picked up the phone, and I called someone. And, you know, it was very sacred and painful to me. So I really needed healthy feedback. And I learned, don't just pick up a phone and just call anybody. So I called Harvey. And Harvey asked me, just get it out. Tell me exactly what happened. I couldn't tell it to him. I was holding on to it for such dear life of what was done to me. I couldn't even let it go. And he encouraged me, just say it out and say it out. 
You know something? Once I got it out, it came out to the point that I could even tell it over to a group of 25 people. The end of the conversation, we were actually laughing our heads off. I don't understand it. I don't understand why. It doesn't mean that I wasn't hurt. And it doesn't mean I don't have a right, a right to be resentful and angry. But I don't have to re-resent myself and destroy myself Monday, this week in 2022, for something that happened in 1991. That's the difference. The difference is I could chip away on that cement. I don't have to hold on to that pain forever. And then in therapy, what was so interesting was, this was what was crazy. My therapist brought me to a place when I was in my room at the age of 10, and I'm sitting there. And he told me to close my eyes and be 10 again. And he asked me, what do you want? And I said, a naked woman. Give me a naked woman. He brought me back to where I was. And I saw the visualization of, there was one image that is implanted in my brain of a fully naked woman that's now implanted in your brain. Of a fully naked woman. And I was sitting there in therapy, staring at this image, saying, take care of me. This was what was coming out of my mouth in therapy. Take care of me, save me, I want this, give it to me, give it to me. I need a naked woman, I need a naked woman. My therapist asked me, what's going on in your life at the age of 10? I'm left back, I'm in a school I don't belong. I hear screaming and yelling on the other side of the door. My parents are fighting. I hear chaos. And he says, how badly do you want that porn? And I said, a lot. And then he planted in me, I'm in a healthy school, I'm in a healthy environment, and I feel safe, and I feel content, and I feel okay. And life is good, and it's working out for me. And he said, I want you to visualize, this took some work, your parents sitting down and drinking tea together, and being vulnerable. And your father maybe holding your mother and saying, everything's gonna be okay, I'm there for you. And your mother being vulnerable and sharing her intimacy of her hard day. I want you to visualize that. You know what came out of my mouth? a cry from this it came out of my mouth without even me he he was like blown away himself I'm telling you what happened but I went through this right this is not like make believe what came out of my mouth is I just want to go play ball with my friends but there's a naked woman I don't want it I just want to go play ball with my friends That's the difference of living in the problem or getting to a place of the solution. So I have, based on my life story, and most of you, if not all of you, based on your life story, have have the right to masturbate today and watch porn and lust and flirt and do whatever works for you to get rid of that pain. But there is a different solution. There's a wholesome, real solution that could chip away on the cement. And that solution is reality. I'm not being molested today. I'm not being abused. My parents aren't fighting, or maybe they are. (laughs) I'm not there. I don't fight with my wife. I'm in a safe home. But you know what happens? I can be in a safe home with a loving wife and being taken care of and making a decent living, end, end, end. When I re-resent, when I resent, and I replay that horrific episode, I want porn again. That's my part. My part today is I don't have the right to resent again. It's stupid if somebody punched me 20 years ago and I go home you know, I was sucked in the face. You know, so I'm going to redo it again. And I take my fist and I just whack myself across the face. It's called stupid. Oh, I think it was done harder. Let me try that one more time. It's stupid. So why do I do that to me emotionally? You know why? Because now I have an excuse to watch porn. So really when my boss was mean to me or my wife wasn't appropriate or my kids or, 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 I'm just punching myself in the face again, even though there was some meanness or difficulty in my life 
but I need to exaggerate it in order to give myself permission. But if I cross over, what is Chaim's part in it? What could Chaim do different? How could Chaim protect himself? If I could go over to people and say, okay, so how did you get over this? How do you work through it? How could I be more gentle? How could I take care of myself better? Then I don't need that porn. And even when the trigger comes and I'm walking down the street and that girl is, is the girl that I was waiting to come down the street, it doesn't have that lore. It doesn't have that, 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 that powerlessness that I am incapable of doing something different. I'll feel the energy. I'll feel an attraction. I might even want it. But it's not any more helplessness. It's not the shortness of breath. It's not the, the stomach. It's not you don't understand me. It's rather I could pick up the phone and say, you do understand me. Let's walk through this. And that exact same story is my story when it comes to fear. This stuff actually works. What's so cool is, is it says it somewhere in the literature. I forgot where. I think maybe in step 12 in the big book. You don't want to miss out on, I forgot the exact wording, but on the faces of others to watch them have the spiritual awakening. I'm doing now step four with someone. I sat down with him the other day and like he's so resentful at his wife, like really so resentful. And I said, you realize you're going to act out? And he's like a good resentment. He's like, I don't even mind acting out over this. Like, like screw it. I, I did marry the wrong girl. Don't give me the whole... And just simply taking out the piece of paper. Anything that I said that makes it any sense is this last thing. By simply, if you're in a resentment, if Chaim is in a resentment today, it's not an excuse to act out or even take an action of lust. We're not powerless over taking out a piece of paper. We're not. You could convince yourself you're powerless and now you could actually go act out, but you're not. The resentment piece of paper you simply write down in column one who I'm resentful at. Usually, wife, father, God, self, boss, whoever it is, neighbor, guy in synagogue. Why am I angry? I'm angry because usually it has to do with your ego. That's for my story. It usually means somebody didn't give Chaim the respect that Chaim deserves. And Chaim deserves a lot of respect. You know how much respect Chaim deserves? The amount that you can never give me. <coughs> there isn't enough respect in this world for my wife to give me. There isn't. I could tell her maybe what I would appreciate. It usually is not about resentment. It usually goes on the sex list. But other than that, it's usually always about Chaim's ego. And then you start just making checks. And I was sitting down with this guy doing the step work. And I was like, he goes, you, you don't get it. The, the stupid checks is going to do anything for me? The beauty is this is about God. I don't understand how this works. I love when Zevi used to say, sitting around and doing the, the hoopy kuri of, of of God grant me the serenity and we sit in a circle and you tell me your problems and I tell you mine and we talk about God and somehow we get sober. It doesn't make sense. Like all the rabbis or all the educators say, so who's leading? Who's the, who's the conductor here? Who do you ask your questions to? So who's the authority? And we're like, we don't got Right? It doesn't make sense, but it does. There's something very spiritual and something very special, and it's called the loving higher power that guides us. And we sat down together, me and this guy, like you've done a million times, and we just started to write the checks. What part of self was hurt or threatened? Self-esteem, pride, emotional, pocketbook, good. Where was I to blame? And he writes down the place that he's to blame. And usually, first thing is, I don't have a part in it. For me, the biggest part that I have on all my resentments is I'm not willing to let go of the damn resentment. <laughs> What's the big deal? What's the, the, what am I holding on to? I wasn't treated well. Like, what am I holding on to? I wasn't validated. That I don't want to give it up is the biggest part. But the beauty is literally 10 out of 10 times just making the calm, writing down your part in it, me writing down my part in it. The resentment just, just disappears. I remember like um, I was doing step four with Loser and he was doing all his checks and everything. And like when I went over to him, we were supposed to be doing step five. 
he said, it's so weird. Most of the resentments are not even there anymore. It's like, I don't know what I'm, I don't even know what I'm telling you. We didn't even do the work. He just made checks. That's what God does. He takes it and throws it out. That's the beauty. And the same thing goes with the fearless. When we're done with resentments, we need to pick up something else in order to allow us to act out. And for me, what I pick up is fear. And for me, the number one fear is financial fear. Finances, the number one killer. I should really say, today it's finances. And early recovery was not having my piece of the pie of sex in this world. That was my number one fear. If I actually give up this lust and sex, then, 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 hi, hello, <laughs> like what do I do? And that was my number one fear. It so happens to be that interestingly enough, is as we work through the fear, the same thing, just making the checks, and most of the, the list, whether it's the fear, whether it's the resentment, whether it's the harm, whether it's the sex conduct, all have to do with I'm self-centered in the extreme and I care about Chaim the most in this world. And Chaim, 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 and take care of Chaim. You don't understand Chaim and the pain of Chaim. But the beauty is we chip away, we chip away, we chip away, and then we get to drive through this tunnel straight to, straight to the place that we really want to be. You know, it says, it says over here on page 66, <coughs> it is plain that a life which, which includes deep resentment leads only to fatality and unhappiness. To the priceless extent that we permit these, do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile? For me, by the way, it's days. I could hardly see, a, you, you, we hear it in the program, and I've been guilty of this many times. I haven't spoken to my wife in two and a half days, and I'm pissed like hell. Like, like if, not bad, huh? <laughs> two and a half days, I destroyed my relationship with me and my wife. Huh? <laughs> days of resenting and hating. But with that sexaholic, alcoholic, those, the, those hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience. This business of resentment is in fatality and grave. You basically, you're gonna die from it in, in, in short. We found that it is fatal, he says it straight out. For when harboring such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit. The insanity of alcohol, sexualism returns and we drink again. It's that simple. And with us, to drink is to die. That you're not allowed to say in this program, by the way. To lust is to die. That's, that's, very, that's, that's very hard. That's being extreme. To lust is to die. If we were to live, we had to be free of anger. On the opposite side, he says over here, perhaps there is a better way. We think so. We are now on a different basis. <clears throat> the basis of trusting and relying upon God. We trust infinity God rather than our infinite self. We basically transfer, transfer from extreme self. Like Harvey taught me many times, if my penis is God, then God can't be God. If lust is God, then God can't be God. If my anger and resentment and fear is God, because that's what I worship, then God can't be God. We transfer. We're in a world to play the role he assigns, just to, extend, to the extent that we do as we think he would have us and humbly rely on him. Does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? So yes, a lot of the resentments that were done to us are real. A lot of the fears even might be real. But he transfers the calamity to serenity. And we're able to live on a different plane. <coughs> so I'll end off with this and then we'll open up the floor for questions and answers. In early recovery, after doing the resentment list, I need to constantly make phone calls about the resentments and fears that I had. And this is key. So I remember one phone call, particularly, I didn't appreciate the clothing that my wife wore. 
And it was a big one for me. And remember, A, I have x-ray vision, and B, I have the talent of knowing exactly what my wife is supposed to wear at all times. And C, being involved in the sex industry for as long as I wasn't involved in, I knew what triggered me and didn't. And basically what my wife wore never triggered me. And what every other girl in the streets are wearing does trigger me. So I would pick up the phone. I'll never forget this phone call, ever. Happened to be with Zevi. I picked up the phone. I remember sitting in front of my parents' house, furiously resentful. This is the woman that I was left with, and she doesn't dress the way I appreciate, which means she doesn't elevate my sexual desires. <coughs> but I didn't know that at that time. And I said, I am burning resentful at my wife. And I couldn't put the two dots together. Why, Chai? Because she doesn't dress the way I appreciate. How do you want her to dress? Like all the other women on the street. So you're looking at all the other women on the street? Oh, wow. Genius. So stop looking at the women on the street. I'm powerless. Okay, that's why we're in a program. You know something, when I gave up that resentment, the same resentment I remember when I met Henach in early recovery, and I told Henach, I said, there's so many hotter women out there than my wife, what the hell do I do, it's not fair. And Henach looked at me and he said, what, what do you mean, those hot babes that you're looking on the screen? I said, yeah. He said, the, the naked ones, right? I said, yeah. He said, I have a good idea for you. Stop looking at the naked woman, your wife will become harder. <laughs> and by the way, if your wife was looking at naked men, you're not exactly the biggest starter also. <laughs> yeah? Well. <laughs> and all of a sudden, like, this is how the program worked. We picked up the phone, I was willing to take direction, and I gave, over my I gave over my resentment to you, and you taught me how to live. And that's what I'm able to do till today. When I'm resentful, I'm able to pick up a phone and tell you my resentment. I give over the vibes that I'm willing to listen to the solution. This is key. I don't come to you and tell you I'm resentful and I worked it through and I did it this and I know my part and, and, and I go on for 10 minutes and then say, and, and if you would like to give me some feedback, I'm open for feedback. Which is like, uh, I'm scared to say anything basically to you because it sounds like you got it under, under you know, control. But rather, this is my problem. Can I just get the solution? Because I can't, I, I can't see myself. I could see you. But you could see me. So just give me the solution, tell me my part, and it's so easy and simple. It really, really is. And fear, for me today, is the number one killer more than resentments. I got this resentments down pat, but the fear, the financial fear, the fear of, of death came up for me recently. I don't, the fear of me getting older came up for me when all of a sudden you start feeling like you, you're not a 20-year-old anymore. It, Fears kill. But you know something, there's a piece of paper and I could call you guys and I could cheer about it also and it just evaporates. <coughs> most of the time, it's not relevant. It's not so strong as we think it is. So next week, we're going to continue with a very good topic. It works very well for this program. And that's the last two papers of step four. And that is harms and the sex conduct. And I would like to talk a lot on, obviously, the sex conduct. Okay, and it's, it's, it's critical. I would like to, to try to talk from my experience about um, healthy sexuality. I think it's a critical one. He, he says in the big book on page, I think it's 68, now, now, now about sex, you know. For the married people, I think it's very important, but I think it's even very important for the single people. Healthy sexuality, which I had no clue about coming into this program. So we'll deal with that. We'll deal with the pain that I've caused my wife through sex, my sexual acting out and etc. cetera, the, the topic of sex. Okay? So t next week, if you don't come early, this one's probably not going to be a seat for you. <laughs> it's a topic that everybody's going to want to hear about. Okay, thank you for letting me share. We'll open up the floor for questions.
you have any questions, you may ask. <clears throat> Shmuel. resentful, <clears throat> angry, he was mad, less fear, and all that. We were talking about when he was nine years old, ten years old, he wanted to make a woman, he wanted to act. I felt filled up. I was thinking about it. <clears throat> if I'll be very upset, if I'll be very angry or, or mad or seeing my parents fighting, whatever, I would want to win. The reaction should be, punch them in the face, or be, say, hey, this is what, because you're angry. What does naked woman, what shaykh has to do with, uh, with each other? Great question. So just to reiterate the, the question, right? Why, when I'm angry or frustrated, I said, or resentful, <coughs> do I say my solution is going to a naked woman? If I'm angry and resentful, I should want to just kill the guy. So there's no, there's, no, there's no right or wrong, right? A lot of us, through our anger and resentment, we, we, we beat people up emotionally, mentally, physically. Um, we, we, we retaliate. Usually, if you trace it, and that's the beauty of doing step work, afterwards, after that initial anger, what do you do? Usually. How do I calm myself down? So some people, after a hard day of work, they calm themselves down, they watch a nice TV show, they go on a walk with their wife. I just want sex after a hard day of work. I just want to go clubbing. That's how I think normal life should look like. I just want um, something on the computer, something. I just want to take off the edge. For me, I prog- it was programmed for me, my brain. We could talk about this for a long time, exactly when and where, but my brain was programmed that when I'm uncomfortable, I don't naturally pick up a bottle of booze. Alcohol pick up booze. People in OA pick up food. Rageaholics, rage. I go to sex and lust. I also go to sex and lust when I'm very comfortable, or when I'm very, um, when, I, when I feel entitled. Doing my step four work, I, I wrote down, I remember at one point, I told my sponsor, I'm resentful at bad weather, rain. Rain brings up a sexual desire for me. I had it on my paper under my sex uh, conduct. And my sponsor said to me, and when it's very sunny, you, you're not, you don't feel any sex desires. <laughs> I said, and when it's sunny. He said, and when the temperature is 65 and there's a breeze in the air, then no. <laughs> I said, when there's a... I'm a sex and lust addict. I look for reasons to want to lust and sex. But when I'm uncomfortable, I definitely want it much more. That's, that's... Yeah. Shmuel. Um, um, do you find, going into your experience, step four, do you, like, try rehashing all the old stuff, or if it's not again now? A lot of the stuff, like, you know... Yeah, I've had resentments, but like... Very good. Great question, great question. So again, I thought, in my brilliance, prior to coming into program, first the question, the question is, should I go back in, in time and bring up old resentments that are not relevant today? So in my experience, I thought there's no purpose of doing that. I was in group therapy together with Shmuley, Zevi, and two other guys, and, they were, and the therapist was trying to convince me that I really have resentments that I, I'm not aware of, especially in my father. And I didn't want to bring it up. I love my father. My father's a great guy. You know how much good he did to me? What's the purpose of bringing it up? The therapist explained to me, you don't act out for no reason. That's what I'm trying to give over here. It might be in your deep subconsciousness, your childhood is what's playing inside of you in your adulthood. You might not be aware of it. The pain of what your father did to you is there. You just might not be conscious of it. 
but you're not just a horny bastard. The reason that woman or guy looks so sexy to you and you're forced in your brain to take off his clothing and go to a place of having sex with him or her while you're with your wife holding hands is not because you're really feeling comfortable. It's because deep inside of me, I'm really not feeling comfortable. And it might be a discomfort from years and years ago that I never, I never worked through. So in short, if, if, the, if the main frame of the building is not secure, it might take time. But there's an insecurity, it's going to crack at one point. And for me, I need to go back in time, strip the building down from ground zero. And ask myself, what is even this dirt made out of? I need to ask myself, what is, what is, is, is the corrosion going on in, in, the, in the dirt that I'm putting the frame in? What is the cement? What does the foundation look like? What is my foundation? And it's hard, and my brain doesn't want to go there because it's like, come on, these are my parents, these are my brothers, these are my sisters. They're like, don't bring up this pain and crap. And, and then I went to a place, and when I bring it up, I get more triggered, so I want to act out, so then don't bring it up. But the reality is I need to clean it up. I need to clean it up. I need to be willing to go there. I need to be willing to dabble in. What was my early marriage look like? Well, I just, in order not to lust and act out today. So for me, this is the greatest opportunity in the world is, is to finally take an inventory. By not knowing that there is a problem doesn't mean there isn't a problem. If I don't do a quick analysis and bring up on my QuickBooks exactly on my P&L, what's my profit and losses in finances, and I just let the system run, and I think I'm making money, but the reality is I'm losing, it doesn't mean I'm making money because I don't know that I'm not making money. It just means that I'm not aware of what's going on in my life. But my kid being frustrated and angry, and this is where it plays a big role, and I scream at him to shut him down or her down because they're showing discomfort, and now look, they're behaving at the table because I went like this and I told him you better. Or I scare them, I gave them a dirty look, or I whisper to them, after this meal, you, what you're gonna get from me. And now look, the kid is so behaved. Doesn't mean this kid is stable right now. It means this kid is sitting in fear. So by me walking around, which I did my whole life, and this is key, dressed well, looked presentable, communicative, had friends, smiled, doesn't mean that inside here it's not corroding. It simply means I was taught to put on a show for everybody. It's called prostitution in English. I prostitute myself. You want me to be this type of person? I'm gonna be that for you. Oh, you need this type of person? I'll be that for you. In reality, I'm a basket of a wreck. Open me up a little bit and wow, what you're gonna find. Doesn't look pretty. So by me shutting down my kids, is not, is, it doesn't help. When I see my kid is, is, is not 100% himself or herself the way I understand they should be, or my wife isn't, by me walking away, this is who I married. Look at this girl. She's always acting like a bitch, right? Or putting fear into her to dress a certain way or act a certain way. It's basically taking her and making her not her and forcing her to be somebody else as opposed to the new wave. Honey, I see you're uncomfortable. You want to sit down a few minutes? I'll take over supper. Hey, you want a drink of water? What's going on by you? And then later on, she's like, I appreciate you doing that. I want to share with you. You know, I was on the phone with my sister, my mother, my brother, my this, my friend told me this and that. And I could sympathize and empathize and I could be there for her and just be a listening ear. And all of a sudden, she's doing great. Now, imagine if I didn't do that, but I shut her down and I abused her and I belittled her and I shamed her and I made her feel stupid and dumb and years and years of doing this. She should have a self-esteem. She should feel good about herself. She should feel proud and happy, she should want to have sex with me? No. For years and years, I was shamed and belittled and put down and mistreated and physically abused and emotionally and sexually and, and, and. <coughs> Just by me not feeling all that today means I picked up a coping mechanism called sex and lust in order to push everything under the carpet and the only thing I just need to do is masturbate and go to my room and everything's okay. And then afterwards, I could walk out, I could be your friend. In reality, life sucks. In reality. 
So going back to when I was in group therapy and finally the therapist cracked me, Shmuley, Zevi, and a few other guys had the privilege of seeing me cry like a baby in therapy for 45 <coughs> minutes straight. Like a baby, uncontrollably. Because all of a sudden, like, and then you understood why I needed to watch porn for hours and hours and hours on end. But what we want to do is just push it under the carpet, and it's called two-stepping. I admit I'm a sexaholic and so on and so forth. Okay, do I, I need a sponsor, to sh- a sponsor to show him how to not lust. But meanwhile, inside, I'm just like, uh, the problem is about getting calm and comfortable and happy and joy and recognize that this is the reason I feel like this and this is why I feel like this and this is what I should do today and this is what I should do tomorrow. <coughs> and then it comes up again, like I just told you, and then you rework it again. But if I would have just said, oh, no, no, come on, grow up, you're 40 years old. Come on, you don't need to deal with this nine-year-old stuff, 10-year-old stuff anymore. Three days from now, why am I looking at nudity in porn for? Why am I raging? Why am I giving my wife a look that she's just not enough? <coughs> and she's like, Chaim, what's wrong? I'm like, no, nah, nothing. <coughs> I'm good. <coughs> why am I doing that for? Because I didn't work through the gift of what God gave us, the fourth step. Um, uh, just uh, mentioned something that I related to very much to that the resentments we got down pat, like after doing uh, enough work. Fears is something that comes up for me. It's daily, not just daily, but it's a constant companion. If you could ex- expand maybe how you deal with it. Uh, what the fears? Yeah. So I didn't speak a lot about the fears, and um, after really doing an intensive amount of work on fears, I came with one conclusion, and it works for me. It's either find God or die like lust I can't deal with fear I don't know I don't have solutions for fear when the fear comes up of what happens if my kid gets sick a good friend of mine his kid just collapsed in school like oh what happens if that would happen to me the only thing I could do is God take this away from me I don't know how to deal with it I'm getting emotional even talking about it I don't know how to deal with it God take it away I can't deal with it I'm powerless over fear. But there's something I'm looking into in fear, and, and there's a reason I want the fear, I, I develop the fear. Usually when, when I give a talk on, on fear, the guy says, yeah, but what happens if the Holocaust happens again? We like, like, we'll talk about it when the Holocaust happens. We'll do step four on the, uh, on the Holocaust when it happens again. Harvey taught me that. Right now, do you have a Holocaust in your life? No? Let's not talk about it. We like, like, did your kid collapse? It's also getting, like, in reality. See, once I ask God to take it away, I could also clear my mind. <coughs> reality. Reality. Do you have food on the table today? Yeah, but what happens if I lose my job? And what happens if blah, blah, blah? Did, did you lose your job? You didn't lose your job? If you lost your job, it's not a fear. Then it's a reality again. But if you didn't lose your job, what are you talking to me if you lose your job? And the main thing is just writing it down on the, on the piece of paper. It just evaporates. The worst thing to do is be quiet about it. That's why he, you know, do, I make up so many fears in my head. But the reality is when the fear comes up, I ask God to take it away. And today I could say honestly also, like if I'm true to myself, I, I, I don't live with fear. <coughs> the only fear that keeps coming up for me is finances. If somebody figured out how to get rid of that, I would love to hear from him. You know? <laughs> it just, it, it leaves and then it comes back. It leaves and it comes back. So people that are in, the question is, how much do you have to deal with every fear, resentment, pain, childhood, trauma, and blah, 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 blah. I've learned from Harvey that so long as you're feeling uncomfortable about it, you've got to deal with it. And my humanness, not even my brokenness, my humanness, my humbleness, and my brokenness, if you want to put in there, is like Harvey told me, till three days after you're dead. <coughs> We're humans, so it's just going to come up, and 
You don't have to be scared to deal with it. The reason I'd never dealt with it is I was scared. So I'd rather masturbate than deal with it. I don't have to be worried about dealing with it. I could, I could. I'll, tell, I'll finish off with a quick, cool story. I was on the phone with Harvey, and um, he was in the middle of having a heart attack. He was driving to the hospital. And I just told this to you. He was driving to the hospital, and he was, Chaim, I'm in the middle of a heart attack. What's doing? And um, I said, what does that mean? He goes, I, I feel chest pains, and I, I know the feeling. I already got, like, you know, tons of stents put in, so I'm just driving to the hospital. <laughs> What's doing? How could I help you? I said, Harvey, this is not a joke. You're not exactly a well man. He starts laughing. I thought he's going to die on the phone. I'm not well. I've been hearing that my whole life. <laughs> and then he says to me, he says, and then he... Out of nowhere, if you know Harvey, he just <coughs> bursts out crying. And I said, what's going on, Harvey? He said, you know, I might die. And, you know, that thought of, like, who is this powerful, amazing, loving God that kept a guy like me who had sex with dogs, who's given his wife a venereal disease? How powerful and big is this God that kept me sober? I might see him very soon. I might die. And I can't wait to see him finally. Bahayim, I don't think God's ready to see me. <laughs> this happened so many times. And I'll tell you why he's not ready to see me. He loves the work that I'm doing in this world. He loves the fact of how much I'm helping his children and how much amends I keep making to Nancy. 40 years sober, I mean 35 years sober, how much amends he keeps making. I'm, I treat my wife nice one day, I think I'm like deserving of, you know. I don't know if God is ready to see me yet. I'm ready to see him. But obviously, there's more work for me to do. So let's enjoy the work. So, so Chaim, what's going on by you? Bye. <coughs> but the truth is, he stayed on the phone with me and he listened to my garbage about, like, <laughs> talking to him, like, all of a sudden, it's like nothing really to talk about. Like, my problem is not really a problem. And then we went on to talk about exactly that. All our problems are just myths. In Harvey's words, every problem that we have while we're awake is a dream that's happening at night, but it happens to be we're awake to witness that dream. A little too much, huh? Mm -hmm. But it's reality. It's like, what's my problem from three years ago that I was ready to act out with a prostitute over? What, what was that problem? I have no idea. What was the problem a month ago that I was willing to lose my mind over? I have no idea. We happen to be awake of dreams that take place in our life. And the reason I believe all this garbage that Harvey tells me is somehow he figured it out. I just want to be able to bellyache, laugh, and, and think about how God is just crazy over me and can't wait to see me. That's it, I got. Thank you for letting me share. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.